Hello and welcome to Running on Joy with Francesca Goodwin, the podcast that celebrates putting one foot in front of the other in whatever form that takes. This is a podcast that explores how we can live in a more connected, creative and compassionate manner for the benefit of our communities, our planet and our own mental and physical health. I'm your host, Francesca Goodwin, and every week I'll be asking a new interviewee what joy means to them. Running on Joy is ad-free, but if you enjoy the show, please do take a moment to leave a review and give feedback wherever you listen to your podcasts. You might also consider supporting the work of Running on Joy guest Dan Lawson through rubbish shoes and rerun clothing to end the cycle of wastage in the sports clothing and footwear industries. Follow at Rubbish Shoes and at Rerun.Clothing on Instagram for further information. Hello everyone. My guest today might best be described as a visionary. They're a competitive ultra runner, creative director, and an advocate for a life of essentialism, of focusing on what really matters. It's a concept that drives their running, life aesthetic, and creative projects. Moving is to living is to communication. In essence, there's an existence driven by perspective and enrichment. And it's this perspective that I'm keen to tap into today and explore with them. So hello, welcome to the podcast. And uh, I'll hand over to you to introduce yourself further. Thank you. That was uh, yeah more than I could say. So yeah, my name is Patrick Stangby. I'm a Norwegian, so born here and uh, now currently live here in Oslo. I'm 33 years old and yeah I was always quite fascinated by movement I would say so I mean yeah I mostly run but I don't really limit myself to just considering myself uh, a runner so but uh, I don't dabble too much with other things currently but um, yeah I think um, it will be interesting to discuss those topics and also how it relates to say yeah how I live but also what we have to do for a living and uh, work as well so and do you think that you are someone who was sort of born to move? Yeah, I mean, I I would like to think that we are all born to kind of move. But then I think we have different cultures. And I was fortunate enough, like, I didn't grow up in the most outdoorsy family. We still were quite, like, outdoorsy. But I wouldn't say it was, like, the outdoors family. But I grew up in a culture where at least being outside is a big part of Norwegian culture. And how we relate to the environment. I think it's a big paradox as well. I mean, we produce a lot of oil, but people will really love the nature here. But uh, we like to have this, uh, we like to blame it on other people having the need for our oil that we don't really need it, right? But we, I think there is still this kind of paradox in Norwegian culture, but there's also this, uh, I mean, since you're a very young, you grow up with being outdoors. And I think there is also at least some kind of respect uh, towards nature because it's closer to you and I think this is also something I like to advocate that I think even if people then have some kind of emissions because they travel to do a race or do something I think at least by spending more time uh, outdoors you're a, more of an advocate for the environment that you spend your time in because at least you have a closer relationship to it so yeah but I think I just, I just grew up around it but probably also as I said I'm I'm quite visual as a person so I think Maybe I get a lot more stimuli <laughs> running in nature than some other people do running in nature because 
I also have some quite competitive road running friends and I had a very nice uh, dialogue with one of them. I think it's now probably five years ago and he did some mountain races, but for him, it could have been, yeah, anywhere, anytime. Like he really didn't consider that there was like a um, landscape or something around him. And I don't think that's necessarily worse than my experience. It's just very different. And he's super rational as a human. He's an engineer or it's like more used to this kind of like super rational thinking. And yeah, I would like to think that sometimes I'm a bit rational, but I'm probably also more of a yeah, dreamer. So <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting. I hadn't really thought about it in terms of kind of it's the sensibility that you bring to the place and not necessarily the place itself that has the effect on you. And it's quite interesting there as well, that kind of, I think that people often pigeonhole runners as being either what a what, what a road runner should be or what a mountain athlete should be and do you feel that you have an identity as a runner yeah I mean probably today I'm running mostly trails I don't really only run mountains I mean Oslo is not really super mountainous we have a lot of nature but it's um I wouldn't say like I don't live in a mountain town so I don't consider myself a pure mountain runner but uh, I mean, I also run road and I mean, most of my racing are currently on trail also because I enjoy really long distances and I don't think really long distances on road is very good for at least my body. But I mean, I'm happy to jump into any kind of race in my say off season from trail. And I also follow road running and I mean, I'm super inspired by people who do things in road running and so, I mean, I think there might be sometimes a difference, but first for most for me, I'm a runner. And I think it also, it can probably change, right? It might be that all of a sudden I have this goal in front of me that is a road running goal. And I would be very motivated to identify myself as a road runner for a while. And I mean, be a part of that community. But I, th I think it's, I mean, in general in life, I don't try to make so much separation between different entities or different projects or what people are occupied by I mean I think there is more crossover than we would like to think and I also do some cycling at this moment not a lot but I mean I'm I think there's so much also in terms of um, yeah I mean with the gravel riding for example now I think it translates very well into trail running and I'm starting to see that some people who do mostly gravel riding or mountain biking, they start to have some group runs in the winter where they do trail running. And I think that was quite un unheard of just like five years ago even, because if you're a cyclist, you're a cyclist and it comes with a certain like uh, identity, but also a certain set of rules. And I think that's maybe for me why I might identify more as a trail runner is that I feel there are less rules in trail running and it's not only about the time I mean I have few times I've raced for a certain time because I really feel like I know the course I feel not I know my own body I'm not maybe racing other people I'm more racing for a certain time that I have in mind but it's not very often that I mean you're that close to understanding both yourself and the course <laughs> so most of the time I don't find that uh, I mean trail running is competitive when you're within a race but after a race it's not like people will validate or judge you based on your time and i think road running is many many times still stuck in this um, mentality and i see with a lot of people i know that run mostly road as well that the few times i'm i was able to push some of them over to doing a trail race there and when they're asking for advice their first advice is 
what should my average pace be? It's like, I'm like, I, 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 it's like sometimes, like, okay, how can you start thinking this way? I mean, it's like, I don't know what my average pace is on my, uh, I mean, on my normal Tuesday run or like, that's not what, what you go out uh, thinking about, right? So I think there's still some separation between the two and also how I identify myself, but I wouldn't be ashamed if someone called me a road runner after I ran a marathon and uh, I was there in some fast road shoes and uh, yeah, some short shorts, so. <laughs> fast shoes and short shorts <laughs> necessary wear for a road race <laughs> it's interesting that you that you speak a bit like that because it seems to me that that you kind of touch on this difference between say being a mountain runner and living in the mountains or being a road runner and uh living in the city and having a kind of a sort of mountain attitude towards life um that kind of fluidity the same could be said of kind of mountain biking as well that kind of then allows you to sort of flip between different disciplines because you there's there's a freedom to it a kind of freedom with identity and playfulness kind of towards how you live as as well as kind of what you do if that makes sense yeah i mean i think that's probably true right and as you said if we also want to make the separation about between people living in the city and people living in the mountains or a mountain town. Um, people maybe sometimes feel a lot more pressure to fit into a certain kind of box in the city because there are a lot of more boxes to choose from than uh, if you're in the mountain. There are not so many boxes uh, to begin with. So it's, it's more free and open, right? People do a bit as they want to because there is uh, not too many neighbors around who is... Uh, looking over your shoulder, trying to evaluate what you are doing. So, yeah, but I, th I think it's also like today people are mixing all these things, right? I don't think it's, yeah, not too many. I mean, I even heard uh, Kipchoge said that he would like to run an ultra once. I'm not sure if he was kind of uh, forced into the reply by having a very specific question. But, uh, yeah, I think it's like people are curious about um, also disciplines that are maybe not there their favorite discipline right which i think is nice that i mean in a world that seems sometimes so polarized to me more and more also in the time we are in right now it's like either people are super left or super right or it's, it's like it seems at least in some kind of sports we are able to find some common ground and it's nice to see that at least some of the barriers that we used to see in sports they are being broken down i mean when it comes to participation uh, who, who are participating uh, and then also when it comes to say the disciplines right they are more fluid and there's um, and there's more also dialogue in between them so mm, absolutely and that's something I I want to come back to but just to um follow on from kind of where we began in terms of you growing up and kind of movement being a part of that how where did running then come into the picture for you yeah, I mean, it's like I wasn't really brought up as a runner, but uh, I can remember that when I was eight or 10, probably, uh, I did this kind of like we had these small kind of races in my local forest. So I grew up in the suburbs outside of Oslo. So there was one more row of houses and then there was the forest. So the forest was really my playground growing up. And uh, so we did, we did all the kind of, kind of things in the forest. I mean, first we were playing, but then after a while, 
I was fishing in the forest. I was like mountain biking. I was cycling around. We did then I did free ride mountain biking. We were building jumps and things. I mean, we were super playful. We built some uh, treetop houses in the forest, so it was really a playground. But I did a few kind of like shorter running races on trail with my mother as a just for something to do together. But it was like a four k or six k and. I don't think I ever considered that like um, it was something I was going to do. <laughs> it was really hard. I think I, I pushed myself too much at uh, that time even. But um, yeah, I mean, also in like in Norway, I'm it's quite different. I said from the US, you will have people running track in high school or in, in, in the school system. Right. But in our school system, there is no sports. The sports are a separate thing. So it's something you choose to do. So I was playing soccer and I was snowboarding. And uh, of course, we did a few other things as well, but the running was never really something that was on the agenda. But uh, I can remember that when I was like, yeah, in like junior high, uh, we had to run a 5K. And uh, I think I had like, at that time, like I was like best in our class and um, I was like probably the best in the school in a certain um, period of time at some point. Uh, but at that time, I was mostly like skateboarding in summer and snowboarding in winter. And nobody thought about asking me, like, maybe you should run, you know. So but I, it, maybe it came natural to me. But when I started studying, I was running a bit like I was always very active as a person. So when the kind of normal like social, I mean, for me, soccer was always just something social that I did because my friends played soccer. I'd never had a huge interest in it. So when those kind of things were removed, I, I probably stayed active just by yeah jogging a bit, but I went a lot to the gym. I did a lot of yoga at that time, which is something I should have continued to do because I'm very stiff now as a runner. So <laughs> I'm trying to be better, but um, yeah, my flexibility is not my strong point. So, but uh, we cannot be good at everything all the time. I'm trying to tell some people, but yeah, I think then I really started running more when I, finished my studies and I started working because I found I had worked quite a lot of myself since I was young I felt like I was pretty much in balance and I knew how I wanted to live but uh, I was probably like I met a lot of frustration from colleagues around me about like say the system they were working in at the time or like just general life stress and I was probably not, I mean, I was trying to be well equipped to handle those situations, but I thought like I had done all this work on myself and now I have to go back to this place where I'm talking to people who have not maybe <laughs> developed the, their, their own kind of like character to the extent that they can stand all this stress and their stress is also starting to affect me because I don't know how to relate to the fact that they are, are, they are that stressed. So running became a tool for me probably at that time, just like to de-stress after work. It was not about something competitive. And yeah, then I met a, I met a few people I knew from before, like friends of friends running, and I joined some running groups. And then running also became very social. And yeah, through that, I started racing. And uh, yeah, I think I, I didn't think I was super competitive as a person because I did a lot of these um, sports which are maybe not that competitive, like snowboarding. I mean, even when I did a few competitions, you're super happy for your friends if they do well. And it's, it's not something that they are, it's not that common in other sports. So I didn't find myself super competitive. But then, yeah, when I entered uh, a marathon, which was my first running race 
um, I was super competitive as soon as I was on the start. I mean, I was very respectful of everyone around me, and I thought I thought that everyone looked super fit, and I didn't really know that if if I belonged there or or not. Which I think is something super powerful as well. That's why I think like anyone can really be a runner, and so many people can be able to finish a marathon if that's something they want to do. And for me, it was one of the most rewarding things in my life to finish my first marathon. And I mean, I did some crazy things after, but then maybe I had some expectations for myself or I knew that I could do it. But in that moment, I was not really sure like I could run a marathon because I hadn't identified myself as a runner growing up. Right. And I mean, my father never ran a marathon. My grandfather didn't do it either. My mother hasn't run a marathon and uh, neither my sister. So it's not something that say belonged to my family or the heritage of my family. So I was just super happy to yeah, get running. And uh, yeah, then I did, did a lot of other things since. So, And do you find that, so is it that perspective in terms of kind of being able to show up for yourself in, in work and kind of how you interact with others? Is that kind of the perspective that running gives you in life? And, and likewise then, what is it that racing gives you? Yeah, I think at least it gave it that to me initially. Like that was maybe the kind of like what I was searching. But uh, I think very quickly, I also, I mean, even in my work today, but also work then, running is very much a place where I'm able to process stuff. And I run a lot with other people as well. And then it's a bit different. It's more of a social thing. But uh, yeah, today, like, I mean, depending on what people do, I feel like at least like I don't have a work where I can always have the kind of, uh, a bit, I'm not always able to be present to the extent I would like to be present in my work. There is always someone calling in while I'm in a meeting that needs something in the moment because they forgot to ask about it in time for what they actually needed. So I, I'm yeah many times stuck in this limbo between like feeling that I need to be somewhere but then I should also be in front of my inbox Um, so at least while I'm running and I even sometimes like running in the morning I'm able to process stuff which is also work related and it's a place where I'm able to think and I'm not taking out my phone I mean my phone is always on silent mode even when I'm working so sometimes like people cannot reach me if I'm actually doing something because I I don't like to be like distracted and I think running is one of the few places where I'm not really distracted. So maybe that's also why I love running a lot because my mind can just keep going and I can explore stuff that I'm already thinking. So yeah, it can be a one hour run, but it can also be a four hour run. And yeah, of course, racing is a bit different. I think I was probably always quite competitive with myself, not necessarily towards other people, but I always put myself to a certain standard and things I wanted to achieve and things I wanted to do uh, or to see if I was able to do it. So I think that's what racing gives me. I'm mostly racing myself. I mean, towards the end of a race, maybe I'm racing <laughs> the people I'm with if I'm with someone as well. But um yeah, I'm very, I'm still very happy if some of my friends do well in a race or people that I met during a race. Uh, it's not really so much about uh, position. I mean, I've been fighting for position as well, but in the end, like it's, you have forgotten after 30 minutes, at least for me, that's not really what it's rewarding. So if I came 
yeah, in second or third, it doesn't really matter the few times I yeah had those positions. So um, yeah, I think for me, it's just like this aspect also of an adventure. I mean, I have a race in yeah 10 days today, I think it's a Friday. So um, yeah, and then it's like, I'm doing a hundred miler and it's my first hundred miler this year. I've done a few in the past. I started doing them in 2019. So I'm not an expert in 100 milers, but I have done them. And, but I'm still very scared of them. And I quite like that. It's uh, more like an adventure than a race. I think if I went out and had to run a marathon tomorrow, I'm pretty certain like I need to be in between this time and this time. And I can possibly do it on a good day or I can maybe not do it on a bad day. But I know what is going to happen. I'm not scared to finish. I'm not really scared of the weather. I'm not like uh, concerned about my, yeah, maybe taking too much care of my body because it's going to be pretty short period of time. But uh, yeah, going out on really long stuff and especially in the mountains, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's really an adventure sometimes. And it's a race, but uh, no matter where you are in the field, a, a lot of the time it just takes like two hours and you don't see anyone anymore unless you're running with a small group. So it spreads out so fast as well that sometimes it's not really like you feel you are racing so many people there. It's not like there is 200 people uh, just around you. So, And is it that kind of curiosity for things that are kind of outside of the known controllables that pushed you towards ultras and particularly that kind of hundred mile distance? Yeah, probably. I mean, I think it's kind of like twofolded. I think there is very much this like adventure aspect, but also this like, what am I capable of doing? Like, where is my kind of limit? But it was also like, I'm not super interested in doing a 200 miler either. So I don't think it's only about pushing yourself to the limit. So, but I, I think it's just like a pretty good balance between what is achievable and what is also very difficult and what can you also be able to do while having a job and other responsibilities in your life as well. I mean, um, yeah, because uh, it, it takes quite a lot. And uh, the few times I also finished 100 milers, it takes quite a lot uh, the days after as well. So you're not quite yourself uh, immediately after. And I was also supporting a few friends who did the longer FKT projects. And I also ran quite a bit of uh, one of them myself as a pacer. Uh, but I've also seen then like people who have done four or 500 kilometers in a matter of three, four days in the mountains, how they really look and feel the following weeks and it's not always very pleasant so <laughs> <laughs> what happens when you discover your limits I don't know I hope you should be I mean both you should maybe find some confidence in it at least you know where your limits are and I, I'm also feeling that like I, I don't know where my limits are but uh, yeah I'm training pretty well and I could probably always train a bit more and yeah, I'm just at this level where I'm a bit kind of in between the people who are professional and then I have people who do a lot of less training than me as well that are a bit behind. But I'm also quite happy in this space and I'm able to train with some local friends who are more at, like say, I mean, I consider myself an athlete, but they're maybe closer to having at, being an athlete as a profession. 
but uh, yeah, so it's like I I think I'm like I'm not at my limit, but I'm pretty much at the limit for what I can do while doing everything else I'm interested in my life. But I think it's also about priorities, right? We could all probably push our limits a lot further if we just really wanted to do that. And that was the only thing we cared about. And not taking care of our relationships, uh, friends and family, partners and careers or other things. So, And from like your first race to this space that you now sit in, do you feel like you do have different expectations of yourself now going into races? A few times, but I'm also very happy to race distances, which is not my kind of preferred distance or what I'm good at. So probably for myself, I know that if I go out in a kind of 80k to 100k, I know that I should do pretty well, like because I have some speed, but I also have enough. uh, I mean, those distances are not necessarily super long for me at this point, both physically, but also really mentally. And I think a lot of it is also more mental so I'm not scared of a 70k or 80k like I could go out right now I'm not fully recovered for my next place like I I can go out right now and do it at a pretty hard effort like I'm always ready to do that but I'm not ready in a many moments to do a hundred miler I'm like still scared of them and the same goes for like I do a few kind of 20ks or 30ks where I don't have the speed that some of the fast really fast guys do but I mean, but then after another hour, they are completely done, right? So it's like they cannot continue then. So I think my expectations are not super high. Like I even raced a VK this summer, and it was so, and it was even it was bad weather, so it was shortened into five hundred meters of vertical gain, which meant that like the competition time went from like 35, 40 minutes, and to just a bit more than fifteen minutes. And when I knew that, I was like, okay, I don't think I want to do it. Even I don't like to compete for 15 minutes, uh, but, I, but I still did it. And I did quite well, actually. There was like a very deep field and I was very surprised, but I, I didn't have any expectations. I just did it because I find it a bit fun to uh, do something a bit different than what you are maybe best at sometimes. And also last year, I decided to join a gravel race on bike. And I mean, I never had did a bike race in my life. And uh, was maybe not the year I should have done it because um, I was without bike for the first four months of the year. And then I traveled a lot. So I realized the day before this uh, 210 kilometer gravel ride that I had uh, been on my bike for 300 kilometers that year. So that was maybe not the, the most clever. But then it's like I had no expectations. I had a great day. I met some people. I was trying to push at the kind of bike level I had at that time, but uh, it was not really about competing. So I also like to say this thing, and I think many people do, but uh, racing, because I meet especially a lot of snowboarders or even sometimes mountain bikers who are really opposed to this idea of racing or going to a race. And I said, for me, it's also a bit, it's a celebration of the sport. And it's also where we meet our community. And many times when you do, uh, when you're trail running, you don't meet anyone. It's like today I was out with a dog and we didn't see anyone trail running. So like sometimes you just, you wonder if there's more trail runners out there or not. So at least when you go to a race, you can realize that, okay, there's quite a few actually. I just didn't see them. So. (laughs) you're making contact quite literally <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and to- 
talking about sort of exploring speed, I mean, your your kind of mantra is live slow, stay fast. And I'm interested to kind of explore that in terms of how it relates to essentialism for you and how kind of running and your relationship to nature are also a part of that. Yeah, I think my life is not always as slow as I wanted it to be, but that's also on uh, yeah on me and my work. But I, th- I still think I very much follow it. And it's also what I'm interested in. I mean, I was always interested in this idea of, say, quality, uh, no matter what is like quality of life, of course, but then also like when it relates to training and food and everything, it's more about this idea that like what you probably need is something that is done correctly or properly rather than just like spreading out your energy super wide and for me that relates to I mean what I try to eat it relates to what I try to consume when it comes to say music literature but also news and product and yeah I've been working in a lot of different industries and sometimes I'm also like there's too much product also coming through my life sometimes more than I would like to. But I think there's also this built this understanding of what I think is good and what I think is not really necessary. And yeah, I think for me, that gives a lot of value in my life. And uh, yeah, when it comes to food, I think you can, of course, also be too uh, obsessive about it, which is can be a negative thing. But I think it's trying to eat like as much whole foods as possible uh, make delicious stuff that is tasteful stuff you want to eat it's not really about sometimes I see especially in a running space where people talk about quality of food and like say food that is more slow or good for you and it almost also sounds like it relates to a diet um, and for me I'm not very interested in that like I think you can eat wholesome and stuff you really want to eat and still eat high quality I mean I probably eat more pizza than uh, most people, but I I eat very good pizza. So that's good. Then. <laughs> <laughs> and what then has sort of been your trajectory into creative consultancy? And how has kind of your, your cultural background um, growing up in Norway and, and running itself informed that journey? Yeah, I think it's a bit uh, kind of twofolded. I mean, I was always really interested, or not always, but maybe from my... I was always interested in uh, clothing, not really fashion, but since I was young, I remember my grandfather used to sell textiles. So he would have textiles in the back of his car. And I remember when, like, nobody tried to really push this on to me, but at some point when I was 10 years old, I, I was apparently obsessed uh, about a pair of denim so and nobody really understood why and it was not even about the brand or something it was about the weight and feel of this fabric so uh, that's why I think I think I'm quite like tactile and visual as a person so from that moment I maybe knew that I was interested in uh, something tactile or product and then uh, I think I was like 15 or 16 and before that I was snowboarding a lot it was maybe my main kind of mental occupation as well like I was very much thinking about that all the time Uh, and then through music I think I also I just was I'm always curious so I went to buy some magazines but then I also saw some like uh, men's fashion magazines British ones so and then as I had never seen these magazines in my life and I was just like curious about it and then 
I saw some references in one of these magazines to some music that I liked. And before that, I thought like fashion was only say luxury and decadence and kind of just like it. I didn't understood it could be more conceptual and have some of the elements of culture that I was interested in. So I bought some of these magazines and I got like tried to educate myself that there was more out there, stuff that I couldn't see in my hometown or stuff that, that was not really... I mean, at that moment, of course, we had the internet, but it's not like today where you're like constantly fed an algorithm about stuff you might be interested in. So you have to do the research yourself. Uh, and I started doing research about these uh, yeah, Belgian designers, Japanese designers and other stuff. And I was not consuming their product, but I was consuming what they created and the narrative. And I understood that, OK, so there is something like conceptually in some of these narratives that really relates to me. Uh, maybe also because I was always quite fascinated by, say, more like outsider culture. I, I many times also didn't truly feel like I fitted in anywhere. And I still really don't because when I'm with a fashion crowd, they find a crowd, they find my running or mountain kind of occupation or they find that boring or not really something they understand. And then many times I also met outdoors people who were very judgmental about their understanding of as a creative fashion space and that that is only about opulence or uh, luxury or about like yeah fast moving stuff so yeah I still feel very much maybe like an outsider but I think I was always interested in these kind of more yeah outsider aspects of uh, that culture uh, because that did fit into the kind of music I liked eventually what kind of art I liked and what also happens then with the time is that some stuff that used to be more, say, outsider culture becomes uh, the dominant culture, right? And I don't think that all the things I loved and um, yeah appreciated became the dominant force, but at least it was higher up in the hierarchy. And I think we see today that a lot of people are visually more aware. They have a lot more references when it comes to art, to architecture, to music. Um, yeah they're more open-minded in this way because they also have seen more stuff themselves so I think also through work then like I worked for yeah some more commercial brands when I was younger I did some also stuff that was like for bigger brands but not fully what I wanted to do but I felt also slowly that at least some of the things I wanted to do started to open up because I was also occupying a space myself that was a bit in between and I was trying to also just evolve that space. And I don't, I think there's a lot of things that we haven't seen yet that I hope will come or that I'm yeah, working on together with other people as well to try to see what is possible, right? And I think it's um, just an exploration as well. And then other people have other points of view, but I think there's also a lot of overlapping points of view. And that's what I find fascinating and also promising is that if there's like groups of people who are on the same kind of trajectory, then that's also easier for a bigger like population to see that something is going on and happening. And yeah, I just hope that also more people will be interested in movement in general, because I think it's very positive from, I mean, a health perspective. So for a full population, just to be moving a bit more, maybe not doing 100 milers, but just uh, yeah, walking a bit more, going on some small runs, 
commuting by bike. So, and it's also good for our mental health. I mean, we're, we're meant to move. So I think a lot of people are very frustrated because they don't really move at all. So how would you describe then who you're communicating to? Yeah, that's quite hard, probably. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think I'm communicating to a lot of people. And then I think there's maybe layers or stuff. I, th- I would like to just think that I could communicate to someone who is uh, ha- has some kind of curiosity. And of course, I think there's certain kind of, yeah, probably people who care about um, nature, but also people who care about the, like you said, movement. So I see there's like, I have a lot of different people I know that are communicating with me that comes from different angles into uh, into something. But I, I would say that they all have this thing in common. And I mean, I'm even communicating with some musicians that like they are not maybe so occupied by their own physical movement, but that there's a lot of movement also in music. So they're fascinated by a lot of these things because they're just seeing it from their perspective. And I think that's also what is interesting, right? If it's this uh, kind of trying to be not necessarily in the center, but you're a bit in between these different genres or different things. But uh, for me, it's quite natural. The things that occupy me, they occupy me. And at this point, I don't really care if someone thinks something is cool or not. And that's also maybe why, like, uh, yeah, when I was younger, I spent a lot of time in even bigger metropolitan cities. And I wanted to maybe get out to try to find a bit. Uh, I mean, Oslo still have about a million, so it's not super small. But I could maybe listen more to what I actually believed in myself, right? And try to find what was I actually occupied by and what was just occupying me because it was something everyone around me told me that was great or that I had to be aware of. How do you know when you're moved truly by something, whether that be art or music or literature or a landscape? I think some people are probably very like emotional, like physically you can, uh, I mean, they cry or I don't know what, but for me, I think it's more, it gives me some mental stimuli. Like I'm having a thought process after but also sometimes it can be, I mean, if it's something pleasant, it can also be just like you feel a sensation of joy or it's also sensory that you actually feel something. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, for me, it's, it's quite like there can be different levels, of course, but I think it should be intellectual for me. There should be something that is not necessarily provocative in a bad way, but it should like uh, ignite the process in me. It should start, uh, I should start thinking about something. Because if I don't start thinking about something, then it's maybe not that exciting. So, Have you grown in confidence in terms of your your tastes and decisions? I can imagine that's been a bit of a journey in terms of not fitting in being an okay thing to be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think for me, I was always quite okay with it because I would always say that I had quite a lot of friends. I was never like lonely. But uh, I many times, especially when I was young, I I had a lot of friends or people around me, but we didn't share the same perspectives. So it was not like I wasn't I, I, I felt like I still had some kind of belonging. So it was not like I was like outsider in that extent, but I didn't maybe feel that they were my community like we like to use the word today. Right. 
So in that way, I probably never really had to gain that confidence because I I felt like I always had it. Like I was accepted. So I, I always felt like, okay, some kind of acceptance. Maybe not people were very interested in everything I was interested in, but I always felt that I was accepted. So I don't think I had to gain that kind of confidence. So I think it was always there. And I mean, I'm I'm also probably not very concerned about everyone's opinion about me. And I don't think that's in a, a bad way. Like I don't respect their opinion, but there's always so many people with different viewpoints. And I'm curious about why, why a lot of people have the opinions they do have. But then I also need to be yeah, respectful of the fact that we all come with so many different uh, perspectives that, uh, I mean, we cannot all agree all the time. And I was maybe always also, yeah, considering that if you have the most kind of like dominant way of thinking in society, it's normally not the right way. So I'm also quite confident that as long as I'm whatever I'm interested in is not super popular, I'm probably doing or saying the right thing. So it's like, of course, I have dialogues with a lot of people. And I think that it's a part of some kind of movement that is growing. But it's also something that that is a lot smaller than a lot of other things that people are occupied with in our society. So I still feel like uh, it's a bit fringe. Of course, sometimes when you're in a bubble, you feel like your bubble is very important. But I don't think overall that uh, my bubble is the main bubble right now. (laughs) But in your non-main bubble, you have this kind of very coherent aesthetic in terms of how you present um visually and in terms of both can like form and sense of like line and color and and texture like you've described kind of your relationship with materials as well um and where do you feel that that's kind of originated from and how's it evolved over time yeah I think maybe that goes back to the say like we can say like essentialism uh, but I also think nothing is really constant and I think before we had this understanding that something of like authenticity come from this like constant like there's like a rule book that you have to follow uh, but I think we always observe what is around us and I think in terms of yeah I'm, I was always interested in like say materiality texture colors I'm mostly interested in stuff that can say comes from nature in one way or the other but I mean I there is most colors you can find in nature as well, right? So maybe because I'm running around a lot of greens and browns and grays all the time, that's my that's my favorites. But uh, I mean, <laughs> but I I also choose uh, like I had that was my frame, right? Like I am running. I'm personally not a huge fan of blue, and I'm ne- I don't really I know a bit why, but we don't have to go into it. But then it's like I'm not really looking for blues when I'm outside right so it's also like I'm I have already framed myself that these are the things I I'm probably going to care about or that like I have these things in mind already so I'm both being inspired but I'm also looking for something already and I think that also goes for furniture I mean I I'm not in the furniture industry I'm not an expert in furniture I read some stuff about the yeah furniture from the past century but uh, I wouldn't say I'm an expert, but I really know that when I see something that I like, and then I obviously think it's good, but I'm also confident like that I think that fits into the other things I care about. Like, okay, 
this makes sense with these other things. I'm not sure in the furniture world if this thing is really good or not, or if someone has like some other kind of hierarchy to place it in. But I think this thing is great because it fits into my universe with all these other things. So yeah, I think that's maybe where I, yeah, how how I kind of build that together. And I think also the curiosity. I don't think I am very, there's a lot of things I'm not very good in myself as a person, but I always knew that I had this great curiosity and I'm able to link stuff together. And also when it came to say social sciences or stuff, also when studying, when being young, that was maybe some of the compliments I had from my teachers that I was good at seeing the bigger picture. I was, I was able to understand why this thing happened because this other thing had happened before. So I think that's also why some of the things I find very enjoyable is to just uh, try to link things together that uh, maybe also don't always existed together before. And that sort of makes sense in a way of being someone who identifies as always being kind of literally on the move in a way. And do you see that as part of how you fire your curiosity as well? Yeah, probably. I mean, I also am, I'm really, I really like also to stay quiet a bit sometimes, but then, yeah, of course, because I think, yeah, when you go out in the city, for example, walking on a Sunday, and there's so much stuff to see that you haven't seen, right? So for me, it's just like trying to pass by this bookstore, then maybe seeing a gallery, then maybe there's a florist somewhere and you want to see what, what they are thinking or what they are doing, then there is like some people who did a coffee shop and you're thinking, okay, but why why are they doing things this way? And like, what's their perspective? Why do they have a different take on it? And all while you're doing this, you're walking around the city and you're seeing people who are moving around. You see life is also happening. And um, yeah, so I think I was always like, I really also like to move around and see people. One thing is nature, but also to see people and what they are occupied with uh, doing so and in terms of how you then draw that together in your work as a as a creative director could you kind of describe what your approach is perhaps taking an example of a specific project for people who maybe can't quite visualize that yeah I think I mean I've been working on quite a few projects since I went more on my own in 2019 now I work mostly on two bigger projects so but say one of it is an Italian footwear brand that is also a bit more in the fashion space but it's outdoor referenced and built like outdoor product but it's not really for alpinism it's more also for everyday use so but I think for me like how a process would start there but also other places is that a lot of these things are like say when you start a new development of course you need to understand okay what maybe what true needs do people have today you know like what kind of need do someone have do we see a use case or a need that someone currently has and then it's like identifying uh, that need and maybe also emotional need that some of you'd like you have a vision about who is going to consume this product if it's about the product because it has also been about services or other things or even imagery and then you try to identify some of these things. But then you go back to the, say, to the kind of more creative drawing board. And I'm at this moment, I'm working a lot with technical designers. I don't do technical design myself. I mean, 
I have done a bit in the past. I'm not a very good technical designer. I take forever and it's not my skill, but I I fuel everything that comes before, right? So then I start drawing on all the inspirations that I find valuable for this project, no matter what the project is. And then I just like pull everything together. So yeah, for example, I also worked on, yes, yeah, a like technical uh, like rain outerwear from a, for a Norwegian brand that I stopped working with now. And they were going to say modernize their company or then it's very important for me to understand who is the persons today that you want to talk to? What is important in their life? What do they care about? And then as when we figure those things out, we can try to draw inspiration from those things, the things people care about. Because uh, in the end, I think it's also a lot about uh, yeah, emotional intelligence or understanding our, say, true needs, but also desires. And I don't mean desire in a bad way, because I think we also have some... Yeah, some desires that need to be fulfilled or things we I mean that, that touch us, right? We talked about before, like if you see something outside or if you read something, it's like, when do you know that it uh, was good for you? And it's like, if it really touched you or you have some emotional connection to something, something that is not purely rational, the, then I think you're getting in the right direction, right? And uh, maybe for me also, of course, choosing a running shoe to run in is maybe like a very rational decision you care about the price point you sometimes maybe want to have a certain drop or stack and then you want to have a this and this outsole because you need this and this condition but i think many times if you choose to repurchase that product it's more about your kind of emotional attachment to the memories with that with that shoe or with that product in general so I think, yeah, for me, it's important to maybe try to build, even from the beginning, some of these emotional aspects into what I'm working on, because I think that is what is giving them some kind of essence or longevity besides physical longevity. And I have this problem myself today that I think a lot of things are going too fast, and especially in the way we consume. And for me, if I really love something, I hopefully also love it in five years. So if it's a certain, if you can kind of also build this emotional components into a product or the kind of that people understand some of the references. And if that's references that are important to them, then they should also be important in a few years. Because, uh, because if it's just something that was passing by, of course, then you're, you're done with it. And then also the product goes to waste because it doesn't hold any value to anyone anymore. So that's maybe how I start the process or how I start to consider things that it's not only purely functional, even if it's a very functional garment and project I have been working on, it needs to have some of these other elements as well. Mm, that's really interesting how kind of maybe historically we might have seen that that hybridity between form and function as being kind of diametrically opposed. I, I, guess, I guess I'm kind of like harking back to growing up and being told, you know, wear the sensible shoes, but they're not the ones that I particularly want to be be seen in. Whilst actually now there seems to be more of that kind of cross-pollinating fluid space, as you say, that is about emotional connection with people. And I guess as we see also this this rise in like fast paced consumerism and sort of shoes that last a last a marathon or or not but there's also seems to be this 
this more kind of creative kind of aesthetic approach to fashion culture and running emerging too um that's kind of based around sort of storytelling and community building um around kind of movement and I'm sort of interested in where you see that going um both in terms of kind of the running and outdoor communities I mean, first, I think it's uh, great and because I think what it does is that it opens up running to a lot of new people. And then maybe there's still a lot of stories or say storytelling angles that we have not seen that can happen and should happen. But I think it's great because also, I mean, I entered running, say, more seriously when I was 25 or 26, but then uh, I mean, I didn't even see myself very seen in the running community as like, who is a runner? And I was a white male. And I think today it's maybe one of the kind of boxes you don't want to be in is a straight white male. But I, I couldn't even identify myself with a lot of runners. So then I can just imagine how it feels like for someone else who at definitely cannot identify themselves with activity. But what I think we're seeing now, and even if some of these perspectives are maybe not the, all the perspectives that we need to see um, that are happening, uh, at least it's pushing in the right direction that there is a different way to be a runner. So I can, I mean, we have seen brands that are like, okay, super occupied with like a kind of certain uh, aesthetic. And then everyone who has this aesthetic from before, then they can feel, oh, maybe I can be a runner now as well, because there is this brand that caters to my aesthetic and they say that I can be a runner. So maybe I should try. And then as we, I mean, I even saw a brand I think I was aware of in January that is like doing like short run. It's like club wear, but they go running before they go to the club, but they stay in the club with this uh, club wear. So it's like, okay, but it's like that was the perspective I didn't have that like you go out on a Friday at nine and you run to the club and you just stay in the club. And then you, I'm not sure if they run home again, but at least like, it looks like running clothes, but at least it, now it's running clothes for the club. And I said, like, okay, that was something new. And I mean, that's maybe not my perspective, but I think it's valuable that we have other perspectives than those, let's say, like big narratives that we've seen from the big biggest brands. And then what we're seeing is that the biggest brands are changing as well. Uh, so for me, I think we will just see more and more things happening in this space. And yeah, maybe at some point it gets saturated. And what you also see sometimes is that bigger brands just following the small brands and try to do the exact same thing that they just did, which it might be a bit frustrating as well for the smaller brands. Uh, but yeah, I think it's really opening up uh, yeah, what it means to be a runner or who can be a runner. And yeah, I think any other sport who had that kind of... Um, energy previously it was most of the time beneficial to both the sport and to the people in the sport so i'm quite positive towards it then i think it's sometimes very difficult to maneuver for some consumers because some things are also a bit more lifestyle oriented than they are actual sport and then you're like okay you're buying these running shorts from a brand that you think is a running brand but in the end maybe the product was not really that much tested or validated because it's more like as a fashion product and I think uh, and also the other way around so I think it becomes also a bit confusing sometimes for a consumer to understand what am I actually buying here like am I buying a 
some storytelling or am I actually buying some technical products? So. Mm, and I guess also however much that that messaging can open up conversations around the identity um, that we inhabit being a runner um, and be inclusive, there's also a very kind of aspirational sense around those lifestyles that could be considered elitist in some way. Um, so do you think there is a kind of space where we can balance creativity on one hand and include like genuine inclusivity on the other? Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I mean, I, I think maybe it's difficult that we are expecting it from a lot of brands because they are trying to make money, a lot of them at least, like that's their main their main priority. So, but I think that has something to do with, say, like also a bit like the pace of stuff, right? Because if I think a lot, some of these brands that are popping up are quite expensive. They are asking people to consume at a certain frequency, which is too high for a lot of people. And also myself, like, I mean, I, I have had like a lot of products, but I also, I mean, I mostly run in two pair of shorts and I've had those shorts for three years. And then, I mean, some of these people are asking you to like have a new pair of shorts every three months or something, it seems like. And me, I'm more confident in spending money on trips and uh, races and I mean, going on some adventure than I am in spending all of it on product. Uh, but then I also realized that even asking people to go on these adventures and I mean, that's, I think why it's important to find also an adventure in your own backyard, right? Most of your training is in your backyard. You can do stuff because on inclusivity, one thing is all the product, but I think it's also this kind of, I mean, we shouldn't be traveling so much anyways, but I think it's all this kind of like idea that, uh, okay, we're asking why not more people of certain backgrounds are racing in these uh, remote places. But I mean, uh, first of all, maybe it's not aspirational to them to go there. And that's something that we need to then change. How can it become aspirational to someone that we want to include? Uh, but also like maybe they're not uh, able to travel there. Maybe like there's some financial restrictions. And I think there is for a lot of people, right? And even for myself, when I started uh, racing and I was a bit younger, I mean, it was demanding a lot of uh, me to do some of the things I did also financially, like uh, uh, because going to some quite remote places to do a race on a Saturday can be more expensive than your summer holiday. So <laughs> um, you should, I mean, I, I think that's also one thing. And But definitely, I think also we will see a lot of these tribes, right? And I think some of them are not very inclusive but I don't think the people who are in those tribes are very inclusive to begin with. So I don't think they are building a new problem. I think it's maybe just where it's, it's more of a, it's easier visualized for us that it's maybe not super inclusive. But uh, I, I don't think it's fueling an existing problem. It's just highlighting the fact that we have this problem. Uh, and then I hope there will be also brands that are opening up and being more inclusive. Uh, but like we said initially, it seems today that we are so, like, there's so much polarization. And we also see with brands, right? I mean, I, I maybe don't want to mention a specific brands because, because maybe I know people somewhere. But then it's like, you, as an example, right, you can have a brand that has a very certain look here in Europe. And then you go to the US and you have a brand like that looks uh, completely the opposite. And then those, both of those brands have 
completely different tribes of people. And you have European people who are then adopting the American brand and that tribe and they go full on. But it seems that almost these, these individuals that are so occupied by these brands and following, they don't really even, I mean, a lot of them don't, they would prefer to engage with people who are in their tribe of their brand rather than just becoming friends with someone that uh, it lives in your street and runs a lot, but it wasn't wearing the right brand, right? And I think also we see a bit this with uh, running groups to me right now. And I think also brands are building a lot of running groups, which are I'm not super happy about personally. And maybe that's like, uh, because I see it's like, for me, it's like, you, well, okay, if there is a group run on a Tuesday, someone shouldn't need to consider if they have to wear Adidas shoes or not. It's like to be a part of that group and that group run. And of course, I understand that's the exact reason why brands want to own those groups because they want to have the visual presence. Maybe they can create some content. But it's also just wrong for me that a brand is owning that group or that a group is so close to a brand because that's what I think you said also about the being inclusive, right? You're not very inclusive to someone new then. And uh, we had a running group here for many years that I'm not a big part of right now. But I mean, I'm still a part of it, but I don't run it. And we said no for many years to those kind of like affiliations or sponsorships by a certain brand. And maybe it could have been beneficial to a lot of the current members. They could have gotten discounts. They could have gotten free stuff. Or, but we didn't really want to be associated with what brand. We said we could, we're happy to do a certain things with certain brands in certain moments. But uh, I think that's maybe my biggest frustration now that it seems like if you want to join a certain uh, group in uh, Paris or London or Oslo, you should dress a certain way or have these certain shoes or, and uh, it's a bit too much. I mean, I really enjoy variety in my life. I don't need all my friends to be having what I'm having. So, yeah. Yeah, you don't have to wear a uniform and it does make it a kind of a mean girls culture, which I think everybody was really pleased to outgrow when they yeah, left yeah, school, yeah. really. <laughs> now we have the running club, so yeah. Thank you for sharing that, because I think those are really powerful um, reflections there. And I guess um, just a kind of final question on on this before we, we wrap up. One of the other um, kind of paradoxes I guess that relates to the the fashion and and the running industries is kind of this balance between um, ecological accountability and and selling product as well and I, I'd be curious to hear your reflections on that kind of being sort of at the forefront of that space. I think a lot of things are changing and because people realize there needs to be change. Uh, but for me, when it comes to product, I think there is so much greenwashing. So that's maybe what I'm mostly scared of. I think a lot of people want to try to do good things and some people are doing good things. And today you can have a lot of recycled content already. And it's also so complicated today. That's say if you do a mechanically recycled nylon, that's probably better for the environment than, or it is better for the environment than a new wool. Because it's already in the system, so you're just recycling it. And it's like, so it's very complicated to say, be like a judge as a consumer or I say like, or even as a brand to like, what is actually ecologically good is not necessarily what is natural. It cannot, because that also takes a lot of resources. But I think my main problem is that a lot of products are not really built for longevity. And because that, that's the main point, like, I mean, my first uh, 
running vest, which was like an S lab uh, running vest. It lasted me for like probably 20,000 kilometers. I think that's a great product. I still have it. I, I mean, I can fix it to the point where it becomes usable again. I can still use it now. It has some holes and some problems. I wouldn't race it at this point, but I could use it. But that's a great longevity for me. The problem is that a lot of people, they just like buy stuff, buy stuff, buy stuff, because there is this uh, fuel from the industry that this new product is a lot better than their previous one. And you will be so much better as a runner and human being if you get this recent one rather than your previous now outdated version. So I think this is maybe like this kind of like op too much uh, optimism in technology or innovation is my main problem. Um, some of my favorite running shoes uh, are still, I mean, they're not in production anymore and they were just five, six years old, right? But there was this drive for innovation to the point where the newest version of that product is a lot worse than the uh, kind of essential version that used to exist. So it's like you sometimes you have figured something out, you don't need to fix it. And of course, we have had new foams and carbon plates and all these things going on that have made, has made shoes a lot uh, easier for us to run in as well as at least racing. But I think there's this optimism about innovation that sometimes is also, say, incorrect and also really the bad thing when it comes to, say, um, hurting the environment for um, runners. Because, yeah, I'm really, I mean, I'm as obsessed with the, my gear as the next person, but I'm also realizing that Merino gloves from 2015 are exactly the same as Merino gloves from 2023. So as long as they don't have any holes or you fix the holes, I think the Merino gloves will uh, remain the same. So I think that's maybe how I see my frustration as well. Like uh, I like to at least also buy product that is built for longevity when someone is communicating. And sometimes that might be a bit more expensive. And I've been running in a lot of running shoes in the past few years, but I've also been running in some running shoes that are quite expensive. And sometimes some of them, not all of them even, have held up amazingly well because someone has set out to make a product that has real longevity. And then maybe that sometimes it's okay that the price point is a bit higher because if you start to do the calculations about how much you are able to use something and uh, yeah, you can basically like uh, take the price per um, kilometers, right? Or miles if you want to. And then you can figure out, okay, how much is this product actually costing me in the end for the use I'm intended to use it for? then maybe it makes sense to you. But I think also we've seen the other way around. I mean, there was this recent, I don't, I also think they made a too much scandal of it with this Adidas shoe that uh, was for the marathon. Because also the problem in professional sports, I mean, I, I heard these uh, things many times, but they say, for example, in soccer, they only use like their kit once in professional soccer. And it's like, how many kids are those people using in a year, right? So, and I think this Rashu was probably, it was like, it's it's best to run in, like you can do, do it, use it for 10 kilometers to check if it's uh, suitable and do your two warm-ups and then you should race in it. But I don't think they said that it's unusable after. But I think we, we see still some of these more problematic products and that the sensibility is maybe just like pure performance. And I also really struggle, maybe that's my problem, but uh, and I had to use one recently, but 
with the road marathons and other where I see people using these space blankets like it's a kind of accessory every time it's like you're in the city like uh have someone to bring your jacket or like take like no but I'm really like I'm a bit upset about it because it's like it's like all this trash for this like nonsense every time just to race on the weekend right but luckily we start to see also races where like uh, you should have your own bottle or your own cup. You know, there's not like plastic glasses everywhere in the street because you try to have a personal best in a half marathon. So, um, I, yeah, I think it's like it's getting better, but I still think brands are out there to try to sell us as much as possible. So e- either they're trying to, if they like, if they realize that there is so much longevity in what they're doing that they're scared we will not replace it, and at least they're going to charge us properly. Uh, or they just want to find a way to to sell us more. But I'm also very optimistic that we might be in a point in time where if we build the right things, we should be able to consume also without guilt things that, uh, I mean, can be a part of an ecosystem that can be circular. I mean, nothing is perfect at this point, but I think eventually maybe we might be able to have a certain kind of consumption and to fuel our desires for consumption, but do something that is quite neutral or even positive towards the planet. And I think we built the completely wrong systems to do that. And that's what we're facing now. But there there is a lot of people working on fixing these problems. So uh, I'm positive that there is a chance that we can do it for at least certain categories and then these brands will not seem as bad as they might do now sometimes so well it's like you say it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier in our conversation and that placing a value on materials and that not being the same as materialism um and if we come back to that that sort of that um that hub of the word material it's about valuing that and then investing in that rather than that overconsumption and always be optimizing messaging really isn't it yes and talking of future things <laughs> um what's next for you in terms of both running and life and work in the next year yeah i didn't plan my next year yet fully so let's see but uh yeah i'm working on a few few projects something yeah quite in the space where i'm doing now already so i'm very happy to have my mind occupied with that and for my running i have a hundred miler like i said in 10 days nine or 10 days today so uh, trying to yeah all the work is done at this point it's a matter of uh, packing in the bags and uh, getting ready so both mentally and physically so trying to have a bit of a surplus and relax a bit and uh, get ready to yeah be out so it will be a long and cold night in the south of sweden so i think it's already dark there by six at that time and we are starting at six and uh, running through the night but I don't think there will be any daylight before around eight a bit later than eight so we have like uh, yeah 14 hours of a uh, headlamp and uh, then um, so yeah better get ready for that but yeah I hope also next year to do some more like running adventures not necessarily only races i have a few things on my agenda a lot of local things in norway so yeah there is so much beautiful nature here and i think that goes for a lot of people depending on where they are even if they have to drive a bit like also me here like some people think that uh, i have access i mean we have great mountain access in norway but i need to drive at least four hours for really big mountains 
And then to the place I really love on the west coast of Norway, there is seven hours to drive. So, and uh, luckily there is a train that goes there as well that we have used sometimes. So, but, uh, and we don't go there all the time. And when we go, we try to stay for uh, the summer and we're able to do that. So we're fortunate enough to do it. But I think that's also for me, like not just trying to travel the world, to have a bucket list of races, try to find some stuff to do that resonates with you. Uh, yeah, that can bring you closer to what you want to do and what you want to feel as well. So yeah, I'm just excited to hopefully have a healthy body and to be outside. And then I hope I'm also able through some of my work and also what I want to communicate uh, to share that with other people for the for them to have their own journey. And I don't think it's about say that's not about being having a competition, right? So it's not me competing with my friends about having the best year in 2024. So yeah. But still wishing you so much luck for that long, dark night that you've got ahead of you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm already charging the batteries, so it <laughs> should be fine. So. And that seems like a, a somewhat ironic but good place to ask my final question, which I ask all my guests, which is what does joy mean to you, Patrick? Yeah, I will continue on this inspiration uh, Kind of uh, trajectory then I think like yeah also when when I feel joy or I'm satisfied or happy uh, that probably fuels my inspiration to do to just like do more and to explore more so yeah and I think uh, yeah that's uh, that's probably what brings me joy as well so then we are hopefully in a good circle so uh, yeah I think there is a there's a lot of darkness in this world right now and there has probably always been but uh, I don't think we should just eliminate that from our vision but I think it's always important to remember that yeah we also need to try to have a positive mindset and to do positive things for ourselves in order to be there for other people because if we're not taking care of ourselves then it's difficult to take care of other people so I am so grateful to the community that is growing around the podcast and if you've enjoyed today's episode I would so appreciate if you can share it with your communities and help spread the message of support, perseverance and joy further. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future guests you can find me on Instagram at running underscore on underscore joy. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time for Running on Joy.